Hi, I'm Maisie. And I'm AJ. Both AJ and I were seniors in high school when the COVID-19 pandemic first started back in 2020. And we both experienced firsthand how difficult adapting to pandemic learning was. The long hours of virtual meetings and the feelings of social isolation made learning very difficult. So when it came time for us to brainstorm topics in education for our final project, we were both interested in understanding more about the learning and teaching experiences of both students and teachers during the pandemic. While the coronavirus has had an impact on students of all ages, we were specifically interested in exploring the effects of the pandemic on young students who have missed out on the traditional early childhood education and the teachers tasked with educating them. We hope to examine how the changes brought on by the pandemic have affected the social and academic well-being and development of young students and explore what the lapse in traditional in-person learning means for their development, as well as for the future of early childhood education. Over the next half hour, we'll explore what happened during online learning in this country and explore the consequences of it on one elementary school's students and educators. This is Missed Learning and Missed Learnings, Elementary Ed in the Era of COVID. Early education is truly essential for a child's socio-emotional development. During these years, children learn crucial skills like impulse and emotional control, how to read social cues and self-reliance, all of which help them in social interactions down the line and in their ability to form friendships, share with others, and resolve conflicts. While much of this is learned in the classroom setting, studies have also shown that play is associated with increased social competence, friendliness, and socially responsible behavior. When the pandemic began in 2020 and schools were forced to close, young students were confined to their homes and in many cases were unable to interact with their peers or even children of their own age for extended periods of time. As a result, many young students are lacking in social emotional skills that they would have otherwise learned in an in-person classroom setting. In an article titled, Missing Early Education and Care During the Pandemic, The Socio-Emotional Impact of the COVID-19 Crisis on Young Children in the Early Childhood Education Journal, Suzanne Egan and her colleagues drew on primary caregivers' responses to an online survey in order to explore the effects of the pandemic on young children. Several parents and guardians noted that their children were increasingly anxious, clingy, and unfocused on their schoolwork and daily life, and were also understimulated, all symptoms that weren't apparent prior to the pandemic. Some also expressed concerns that their children's development was reverting to that of a younger child, in many cases exhibiting regressions in speech, more tantrums, and more demand for their caregiver's care and attention. Many of these behaviors were exacerbated by the fact that several caregivers also had to work from home at this time as well as tend to their children's needs. Several parents and guardians noted that they were constantly being torn between their work and their children, which became incredibly draining and placed lots of strain on both their work and family lives. One parent wrote, and I quote, working full time from home has been extremely hard and challenging with children constantly asking to be played with and not understanding the demands and stress of work. It is truly a desperate situation, end quote. Because of this, many parents felt that their only viable option was to resort to electronics as digital babysitters, which pretty much means that children wound up spending a large amount of time in front of the television or playing video games. One parent wrote that, and I quote, we need to use the TV as entertainment while we work. So he watches far more TV than we are comfortable with, and he does everything glued to the TV now, which is a horrible feeling as a parent, end quote. 
Being exposed to electronic devices at such a young age for extended amounts of time is linked to several long-lasting problems, including antisocial behavior, lack of attention, and physical inactivity. However, when parents literally have no other choice, these effects are almost impossible to avoid, which is terrifying. Another problem brought to light by the pandemic and the need for online learning was equal access to school supplies, specifically electronics. While this has been a concern for educators and policymakers for many years, the pandemic added a new urgency to this problem. Where electronic devices and access to Wi-Fi were once only helpful supplements to children's education that expanded their range for opportunity, they now became the only way in which children could continue their education. It became clear very quickly that digital inequity was disproportionately affecting students with lower income backgrounds. According to one report from New America, one in seven young students do not have broadband internet access at home, with the cost of internet being the primary reason why. Even of those who do have internet access, 56% say that their internet service is too slow for them to participate in school without major disruptions, and 22% say that it is hard for them to get sufficient time on their device because there are too many family members sharing it. It was also found that these issues were experienced disproportionately by Latine and Black households, with 66% of Latine families and 56% of Black families reporting these problems, in comparison to only 42% of white families. Evidently, the pandemic has made worse an already very apparent state of inequity existing in education. While the pandemic has brought about many damaging effects for the development of young children, both socially and academically, several studies have also highlighted some unlikely positive outcomes of pandemic learning. Some families noted that their children enjoyed the break from their normal school routine and liked having more time to play with their siblings where applicable. Others expressed that their children learned important life skills, like how to adapt and share space with others, simple cooking skills, and ways to be more helpful around the house. Additionally, while remote learning posed several challenges for families, many also gained new insight into their children's education and schoolwork. Among them, Black and Latine parents, as well as households living below the poverty line, actually reported the largest gains of this new insight, with 57% of Black parents, 52% of Latine parents, and 56% of parents with incomes below the federal poverty level reporting that they felt more confident in their abilities to help their children with their schoolwork than they did prior to the pandemic. When compared to the only 32% of white families and 39% of those with incomes above the poverty level, but still below 75,000, who felt this way, these findings are quite compelling. It's important to note that these experiences were in no way universal and dependent on a variety of factors, like the pre-existing state of family relations, parents' ability to devote time to their child, whether or not a child had siblings, internet access, and many more. Overall, the COVID-19 pandemic has created truly unprecedented living conditions that has had a large impact on early childhood education. To get a closer look, we thought what better way to see the effects of the pandemic on elementary schools than to study one ourselves. Do you remember your time in elementary school? Maybe there was a certain classroom you liked best or a certain swing on the playground you'd prefer whenever recess came around. Or if you're like me, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of your elementary school days are the friends and teachers you had. 
And for a lot of current elementary schoolers, that's also the first thing they think about. Uh, so do you like school, Jackson? Kind of. Kind of? What, what do you like about it? Mm, I get to see my friends. That's Jackson, a fourth grader at Dothanbrook School, or DBS for short. We talked with Jackson to learn a little more about how some students are feeling since the transition back to in-person learning over the past year and to reflect on the semester they spent online. Sophie, a fifth grader also from DBS, had something similar to say when we asked her the same question. I like that, I mean, you know, a lot of the teachers are really nice and um, I make a lot of friends at school and like, you know, like everybody's usually really understanding. When we asked if they liked online schooling, it was a very different story. Okay, so I want you to think back all the way to when the, the pandemic started and we moved online. Um, did you like school that way? No. Um, there were times when I did like school that way and there were times when I didn't. When the pandemic first hit, DBS, like many elementary schools across the country, closed its doors and went fully remote. For Franklin Burns, a fifth grade teacher at DBS, the shift online was also a challenge. The first challenge for me was that it happened so fast that most of our students didn't understand how to use remote technology. So we had a learning curve of having to have not only the students, but the parents understand what online learning looked like. So we actually had to really kind of backpedal. And when we first shut down, it really wasn't even about academics. It was teaching them how to even access online learning and what that would look like. So there was a huge social curve. Um, teaching fifth, it was a little bit easier, um, but it was really hard to watch my coworkers in the K-1-2 really struggling with young children trying to teach them what it was. Um, There's also an in, a lot of inequity because even though we handed out devices does not mean that students would actually access or come on and access their learning. It was a shift and I really felt like we were just kind of keeping the kids busy and checking in more on their mental health because there was a lot of fear that first year. Um, do I think my kids made academic gains that year? No. Do I think I kept them even um, and kind of on a plateau? Yes, I think I did uh, inhibit some of regression, but I do not think that they made academic gains in the way that they would. Just because it was hard when you're in the classroom, you can do a lot more individualized instruction, but online when you're doing it that way, it's kind of just a flat line lesson. And you just have to hope that they're able to get what they need. And you might be thinking, well, thank God that era in schooling is over. And it is over, right? Shifting to the transition back, how do you feel like that has gone, like last year into this year? I'll speak to last year, which was the first year back. Um, there was a huge, academically, there was a huge gap. The academic gap was huge. Um, it was, I think that's nationwide. I feel like kids are often coming to fourth and fifth already, not academically where they should be. So we had this huge gap of kids who had not learned things. And Lanny is a perfect example. She actually had to start with the second grade curriculum last year. And really, I mean, there was huge regression. Lanny Luce West is another educator at DBS who teaches fourth grade. For me, I did the same thing. I was actually doing a lot of what Lanny would normally teach at the beginning of fourth. I was using it for the beginning of fifth. So there's this missed learning is kind of what the, the world is kind of labeled as. And I think that is noticeable across the board. It's a huge, huge dip. Dothan Brook is one of three public elementary schools that serves kids in the small town of Hartford, Vermont, 
Like you heard Franklin say, when DBS returned to fully in-person instruction last August, the academic toll of online learning was apparent. But beyond that, so was the toll on children's socio-emotional development. The other thing that I noticed in the returning was the social-emotional. Our behaviors were just through the roof. Um, Hartford especially, I can only speak directly to Hartford. The kids came back almost not knowing. You almost had to reteach them what it's like to be in an academic setting. And then for kids like K-1-2, they had had such minimal exposure to a classroom setting that it almost kind of just it snowballed. And the behaviors in K-1-2 are just horrendous. And there's a lot of mental struggles. We've had to have a lot more counseling. We've had to hire more therapists from HCRS. So yeah, coming back was really hard. Um, it was so intense this year. There, you had to meet with superintendent and we had to figure out what happened. The toll has been so bad that the Hartford School District is seeing its highest turnover rate this year since 15 years ago when the Great Recession hit. DBS, which already doesn't have enough staff to cover every position in the school, will be losing about 10 staff members this year alone. The mental exhaustion on the staff, I think, was not noticed until it was almost too late. Um, I mean, I lost my coworker last year. She, I'm surprised she finished the year. Um, this is going to be in the state of Vermont, actually the highest year of teachers not renewing their licenses, not because they're going to other schools, they're leaving the profession. This is the highest we've had in years. Last year, I think it was 20%, and I think it's almost 30-something percent this year of teachers in Vermont are leaving the profession, meaning they're not renewing their license. They're just, they're done. They're going to other, we have two middle school teachers. When I talk to them, they don't even know what they're going to do next year. They're just, they can't do this anymore. Um, it's exhausting. Part of what's contributed to that exhaustion, the district not listening to its educators. This year, Dothan Brook has had the challenge of significantly larger class sizes than the other area elementary schools, and that's on top of having fewer staff members and more absent due to the quarantine regulations. Teachers have been giving up their lunch and prep times to cover for coworkers, and with few to no substitutes, it's becoming a frequent occurrence. Class sizes, for example, at White River, average oh. eight average eight. Ours average 22. So when we talk about behaviors and fatigue, we've got teachers in our building who are have a pair of maybe half of the day that have 22 strong-willed, let's say second graders, where at White River, they might have eight and also have a full-time para. Yeah. At DBS, class sizes average nearly three times what they do at White River, another Hartford Elementary School. The inequitable class sizes have become so apparent, in fact, that educators from White River co-penned a letter to the school board in November in an effort to alleviate some of the stress on their DBS colleagues and bring in more students to WRS. That proposal was denied. And it wasn't just that one. There were a lot of proposals from educators. With that said, it's not like you can just make people pop out of thin air who are applying for these jobs. So it also came down to what's gonna be our incentive to get them in. And we asked for higher pay, to get paraeducators to come in at a higher pay. Um, we were denied that, they said no. So probably a week later is when we had paraeducators leaving. What made me sad is when teachers or paras or anyone went to admin and gave like, a, they didn't just complain. I like the teachers who voice their concerns, but also bring a suggestion to the table. And there were a lot. Like I think about Aunt Sarasoli, who's been at White River for like 39 years. Like she's like, I've taught kindergarten for almost 40 years and here's my plan. And they're like, next. And you hear that in the minutes and it's just,
heart-wrenching. So, educators in the Hartford School District have gone into this year already fatigued from the previous two. And then the district begins the process of implementing a new ELA curriculum. ELA stands for English Language Arts. And you're probably thinking, of course they'd consult teachers before implementing an entirely new set of standards, right? Surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, you'd be wrong. So now educators have been asked to implement an entirely new set of standards for ELA that they didn't have a say in choosing, in the same year that they've also been tasked with teaching during a pandemic. And it might seem like DBS is only an extreme example of how the pandemic has been for educators. But in truth, that may very well be the opposite. It happened in Shelburne, it happened in Essex, it happened in Mallet's Bay. Like it was kind of across the board. I think they weren't hearing what they were actually saying. I think they just took it as complaining. Those towns you just listed are other school districts throughout Vermont, but it doesn't end there. As a nation, I also think we were not heard. Um, as you know, I taught in Tampa and I taught in Atlanta and I still follow those school districts and talk to people. And I think it was even worse there. I think in bigger cities where it's harder to voice your opinion, um, you're just a number within a massive city. I think it was really hard for them to be heard. So I think that's why as a nation, the call for teachers is so needed because, and I actually love when I interview these younger teachers to have such stronger voices than some veterans do, not in a cocky way, like live and you'll be that like they ju you just have a better way of advocating for what's really going on. And I'm thinking that there might be a shift in the future, but I worry that it might be too late. So what's there to be done? Well, for Hartford, the district has finally begun trying to turn things around. Next year, DBS will have three classrooms for kindergarten, first and second grade, instead of the two classes that each grade has currently. And the district as a whole has hired multiple new staff members. One of them being my sister, shout out Olivia. Following the outcry surrounding the new ELA curriculum, Hartford Superintendent of Schools, Tom DeBalzi, sent out a formal letter saying that for the rest of the year, implementing that curriculum would be optional. These are all great changes being made, but it doesn't change the fact that the district is still going forward with a curriculum that its teachers didn't have a hand in choosing, nor will it reverse the mass exodus of educators from the district. And it really made us start to realize that, much like the issues of inequity among students throughout the country, a lot of these issues were here long before the pandemic. The pandemic has just made them worse and more visible. There's been a lack of respect for the profession of teaching for at least as long as we can remember. We see it every day in the U.S. with lawmakers implementing legislation that directly affects schools, teachers, and students without so much as consulting a single educator. If we want more teachers and more passionate teachers, we need to begin showing them more respect. They're who educate our kids after all, and they're who educated all of us. Where would we be without teachers? And our kids who have fallen behind need good teachers if we want them to catch up, and if we want them to learn stuff that might be more important than language, arts, math, and science. Like I learned, like for, like this sounds weird to say, but I learned about like friendships and I learned about, you know. And isn't that the purpose of education? To learn how to be good people? We must remember that intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. And who said that? a man named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Maybe we could learn a thing or two from him. So when it comes down to it, what have we learned from educating during the pandemic? 
that we need to listen to our teachers because they're experts in their fields. They know what's best for our students. And if we want our students to succeed and maintain good social and emotional well-being, we need to care more about the social and emotional well-being of our educators. Teachers, paraprofessionals, nurses, counselors, secretaries, they're all everyday heroes. It's time we start really showing them that we believe that. And next time you see a kid you know, ask them what they want to be when they grow up. You might be surprised by what they say. What do you want to be when you grow up? A uh, baseball player. I really want to be a detective, and this sounds wrong, but I want to do stuff to do with murder. And whatever that aspiration may be, and no matter how many times it might change, let's help them get there. And to do that, we need to help teachers. I'm Maisie. And I'm AJ. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Franklin Burns, Sophie, Jackson, and their families for helping us in the making of this podcast.